Andrew is going to kind of lay out the problem of evil, all the stuff about it, um, everything that it kind of entails, and then Josh, which is that postmill, is going to come back with some retorts or some like some common assertions against the problem of evil or uh, some common assertions against someone defending themselves from the problem of evil and after that there's going to kind of be an open floor where you can ask questions either in the bible study discussion chat uh, or you can ask them by voice please be respectful during that time of other people trying to talk it can get hectic with this many people in here uh so yeah we'll go ahead and get started with the problem of evil take it away andrew Okay, so the problem of evil, like, what, what is that? What's going on with it? Um, I just wanted to lay out, just from the outset, what we're kind of dealing with. So basically, the problem of evil, it's used by unbelievers. Christians uh, have also encountered it and even articulated it or said it sometimes. And it, it goes like this. If God is so good, then why do bad things happen? There are a ton of different forms to it. That's the easiest form. If God is good or if God is real, if God exists, then why is it that so many terrible things in the world happen? Um, because we've all experienced that stuff, right? That's the basic form. I wanted to sort of elaborate on a probably on a slightly more advanced way of talking about it, and because um, I think it illustrates a lot of the issues pretty well, and. I, I'm, I'm working from a note sheet that I might post later as well. But um, the more complicated form goes like this. Um, so you got the first sort of part of it. If God exists, he's all good, he's all powerful, and he's all knowing. If God exists, then he's all good, he's all powerful, and he's all knowing. So those are, you might you might have heard those three things attributed to God before, you might not have. But this, that's sort of a classic it's called the three O formulation because God is omni benevolent. That's all good. He's omni, uh, omnipotent, which is all powerful and he's omniscient, which is all knowing. And so he's all good. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. That's sort of a classic way of talking about things. Um, and for our purposes, it's fine, but we have to remember that we're Christians. We're Trinitarian. We talked about that last week. And so, this isn't going to be like an exhaustive definition of God. It's just going to be like, these are the things we attribute to God. So we attribute those three things to him. He's all good. He's all powerful. He's all knowing. If that's the case, then God should, it seems like he should want to desire to prevent, or he would absolutely prevent. And he would know about all of the possibilities of evil in the world. He'd know it every time that it happens. So if he's all good, then he would desire to stop it. If he's all powerful, then he's able to stop it. And if he's all knowing, then he knows about evil every time, every time that it happens. And yet, this is the catch for everyone. Um, evil exists in the world. There are three sort of kinds of evil that I wanted to, to point out just so we're being specific. So, um, the Bible makes some of these distinctions. Um, I think it's important to just know about them so that if you're ever talking with someone, you can just be like, oh, you're talking about this kind of evil and not this kind. So here are the three kinds of evil. There's moral evil, there's natural evil, and then there's like, um, what I call national or corporate evil. Um, not corporate, like a company, but just like, like social level or more than one person. Um, and those things are defined as follows. So something that's morally evil is it's just proceeding from your individual sinfulness, like in a morally evil act, like a good example of that is like just going and killing somebody. That's sort of the, the textbook, like that's a morally evil thing. Um, there are things that are natural evils or um, they are like disasters or catastrophes that happen from nature. They're considered evil because, uh, people like as a result experience pain and suffering from those things. So um, another name for the problem of evil is the problem of pain and suffering. Um, and it kind of parallels this thing, but I wanted to capture it all in one. So I, I wrapped it into the, into evil. You don't have to, you can, <clears throat> a lot of people do. So there's natural evil. That's going to be disasters. And then there's um, sort of corporate or national evil. Um, I only wanted to pick out that 
specific thing because um, in the Bible, God talks about, or in, in the Bible, there are nations that rise up and attack, for instance, like Israel. And so God, when he raises those people up, he says like, you know, the, uh, these people are going to come and they're going to bring disaster and catastrophe. And so it's kind of like the natural evil and that there's experience. Uh, yes, lust would be an example of a moral evil. Going back earlier, answering a question in chat. Um, an example of a national of a national evil would be like the Babylonians attacking Israel, like, and God sort of uh, commenting on that. And he, he like in books of the Bible, like Isaiah or Jeremiah, um, those things are explicitly said to be. So um, if God's all good, all powerful, all knowing, it seems like he should be able to prevent evil in the world, and yet evil exists. And so what do we conclude? Well, logically, you'd have to conclude, well, given that definition and the, the fact that evil exists in the world, God is either not good at all, he's either, he's either that or he's not powerful, or he's not all knowing. Um, so if there's evil in the world, then God's not good because he doesn't desire to stop it. Or he has good intentions. He's just not capable of stopping it. Like he doesn't have the power. He's not omnipotent. Um, or the third option, denying that third attribute we talked about, it, he doesn't know enough to stop it or he doesn't know about it when it does happen. He has no idea what's going on. Um, and so that's sort of, uh, so you say that like God doesn't exist in that form or in that definition. Those attributes can't rightly be attributed to God. So God's not good at all. He's not all powerful and he's not all knowing. Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, God's not worth believing in. Um, some people don't take that next leap. Um, they just say maybe there is a God. He's just not very good. But as Christians, obviously, we're not going to be able to to agree with that sort of thing. Cause we believe that God is good. Um, he's saved us. He's drawn us from light, from darkness into light. He's, you know, he, the Bible says that God is good. Um, so most people are, sorry, as, as Christians, we're not going to be satisfied with that answer. So we have to say, you know, no, like God has to at least be good. Um, and so most people take it next. Most people don't take it to that level of like God not existing They'll just say he doesn't have those attributes. So that's kind of the basic form of the problem of evil. Um, so some of the other parts of the discussion. So there's the moral, natural, national evil thing going on. Um, and then it's important for us to remember again that we're, we're Trinitarian. And so, um, you know, that the three O definition or formulation is not always going to apply to or sorry, that is going to apply to God, but it's not going to be an exhaustive definition. So uh, God is good, but evil exists in the world. Therefore he must not exist. Um, that's the, that is the basic structure. I wanted to talk, to talk about some problems that are actually found within this structure. Um, uh, just the form of the argument. So, you could say, you could look at the first part and say, okay, like, yeah, God is all good, all powerful and all knowing. But like we already said, that's not the only thing that's, those aren't the only things that are true about God. God is also all wise. So if you have a wise God, maybe he is good at weighing the pros and cons. And he's like, all right, I'll spend this much, you know, suffering or spend this much like evil. And, um, you know, that'll lead to some sort of better outcome. A lot of people have posited that who are not Christians. As Christians, we would be like, yeah, God is all wise. And so he's going to bring about the best possible outcome from his own perspective. So that's, you know, completely fine um, for us as Christians to be like, yeah, like God isn't exclusively all powerful, all knowing. He's also all wise. He's also, he also has a plan that he's playing out. He's also the Lord of, you know, all things. So there's that. Um, the second thing is that, um, you know, the problem of evil is kind of thrown at us as this like problem. <laughs> it's called the problem, but it's thrown at us as though it's supposed to like disprove the existence of God. But actually it's all over the Bible that God actually brings things 
to pass. Um, like he, he ordains things that are evil or that is he plans for things to be evil and he sovereignly like oversees those things to happen. And he like makes sure that those things happen as part of his big sovereign plan. And so what that means is that um, moral evils are part of God's plan. He uh, ordains for those things to happen. He doesn't commit the sins himself, but he does uh, plan those things into his plan and, and oversees and, and make sure that they happen. The second thing is that um, for natural evils, and we already touched on this with national or the corporate scale evils, um, God is overseeing those things as well. So you've, you've uh, the example of the flood from Genesis nine, that's going to be a huge, uh, you know, cosmic or that's going to be a huge sort of global disaster that God is actually causing. He's overseeing that thing. A lot of people die from the flood, but you know, you're not going to find anyone who reads their Bible. Who's going to be like, yeah, God didn't cause the flood. Um, the second thing, or the second quote that I wanted to pull was from Zephaniah, Zephaniah one verses two and three. Um, I'll just read this quote to us. I will utterly, and this is God speaking. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the rubble of the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. In that case, we see God saying that he's going to utterly sweep away everything. He's going to um, destroy the world. fully and you know there are different eschatological positions on this um you might be able to say or you some people might argue like yeah this is talking about the very end of time some people are talking about stuff that happens before time but either way god is the one who's doing these things right so um god is the one who's causing these um disasters to happen so if god is causing the disasters to happen and if he's planning and ordaining like evil to happen as part of his plan, then the problem of evil is not anything new for Christians. It's something that like Christians and even before Christians, that the, the Israelites, Jewish people have been dealing with since before, <laughs> before anyone had a problem with it. Like uh, the problem of evil is contained within the Bible, uh, so to speak. And so in that sense, um, you know, it's like, yeah, Christians have to deal with it, but also the Bible has dealt with it. Saying We just say that God has had a plan and um, that he's not evil for causing it to come to pass. And um, so when it's thrown in our face, it's really not uh, to be thrown. It, we, we shouldn't just accept that and be like, wow, that's really troubling. Um, rather, our response as Christians should be, okay, if you're saying that um, evil is... Con- that the existence of evil is inconsistent with my view, that is with a with an objective morality with with right and wrong based on God's character, like my own Christian worldview based on what the Bible has said. If that's a problem for me, okay, let's look at it from world from your worldview. Um, how do you define evil on your own position? Because according to the Christian worldview, evil is anything that is different from God's will. It's, it's sin. Um, it's deviating from his standards, but on your view, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to account for sin in that way. Um, you know, if you're, uh, if you believe in evolution, which we were talking about earlier in the week, if you're, if you're committed to a view called materialism, then you're just going to think that, oh, you know, everything is just kind of matter in motion. If, if you're an atheist, you have no objective standard of good and evil. We're just highly evolved fish and algae. <laughs> um, so what's right and wrong to a fish? Well, you don't really, there's, there's no basis for even talking that way. It makes no sense. So why would that apply to us? So on non-Christian world worldviews, like from their perspective, there are no moral standards. And so how can you say that there's any, any evil at all? You're just saying that that's a problem for me. And second of all, um, if there are no moral standards, and that means there's no such thing as good either. And so <laughs> there's no uh, th- there's no such thing as, as positive morality either. It's not good to walk the old lady across the street. It's not good to, to um, you know, get married and take care of a family and all these things. There's no such thing as good either. It's all just, you know, matter. It's just, you know, evolve- the emotions of highly evolved fish. And so um, from a non-Christian worldview, it's not going to make any sense to even talk about good and evil.
Um, and so as Christians, we have, go ahead. Uh, we have a request to repeat that. What exactly do you want repeated, Caleb? About Christians, don't want... About the fish. <laughs> oh, yeah. So um, according to evolution, um, we are highly evolved fish. Because uh, there were sea creatures that predated any land-dwelling creatures. Um, and so according to... Yeah, okay. So um, you don't ask a fish, hey, what's right and wrong? They don't seem to be able to know that. The bigger picture there is you can't discern um, right and wrong or values just from looking at the natural world alone. So, yeah. Uh, last little section is... Uh, yeah, more like highly evolved amoeba, exactly. Highly evolved single uh, cell organisms. Highly evolved stardust. Yes. So the last part was um, how do okay? So as Christians, how should we like deal with it? How do we think about evil in general? How do we think about those three forms of evil in general? Um, the first thing is to just look at our Bibles. I mean, on the first pages of Scripture. We see the fall of man and how sin and death enter the world. That's in Genesis 2. Um, a little bit later in the New Testament, we see God's purpose in ordaining evil and his intentions with ordaining evil in the world. And the, uh, For example, you have Romans 8, 28, which, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are, ca who are called according to his purposes. And so when we're experiencing suffering or even when we're guilty of committing evil because um, because of God's greater plan of redemption and um, drawing a people to himself and sending the son and the son um, redeeming the world um, through the, through dying on the cross, it says, we know that for those who, for those who love God, all things, including the evil things, the all there doesn't exclude the evil things work together for our good, for the good of those who are called according to God's purpose. Um, and you might say, well, how does that work? And the Bible also answers that question. You look at James chapter one, verses two and three, which says, count it a joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So a trial is something that just tests your faith. Um, it's, uh, it's a hard time. You experience suffering, etc. cetera. Um, count it a joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when a Christian responds to trials by being faithful and steadfast, he's proving his own faith to himself, and God is building that person up. So when we experience hard times, when we are experiencing trials and difficulties, um, that's all part of God's greater purpose of working things out to his own glory, which we get to be part of, uh, because the word says that all things work together for our good. And how it works together for our good is it stirs up our faithfulness. Um, and so I'll, I'll, I'll close there for now. I have a feeling we have uh, some questions. Yeah. So yeah. Webster, we'll hear first before continuing. Webster asked, um, what do you mean by God ordaining evil? Uh, oh, wait, never mind. Josh is going to. Well, I, I was up in the objection section in a more specified way but if you want to go ahead and give a definition that'll yeah i was going to force you to define it later but you can just do it now if you want to define uh providence yeah uh ordination god, yeah uh, god ordaining something what does that mean yeah yeah um to ordain something means um for god to sovereignly or that is like uh, fully and from a from a God's eye view, to plan something to come to pass on Earth, and then to see that through, to uh, make sure that it actually happens, um, including all of the things that all the situations that lead up to that thing happening. 
And so when I say God ordains things, I mean that it's that um, everything, like the things that God ordains are part of his eternal plan and that those things are coming to pass like on earth in creation, like in real time. So I have a question about, I guess, how that deals with, like how evil works into that. Does God ordain evil? question uh yeah it was it was it was the question for now was just what you meant by by ordain and then we'll get to the i'll press you on the back end of that soon yeah yeah so that's what i meant by ordain is god plans for a thing to happen he plans everything that leads up to it happening and he makes he sees it through he talks about uh in isaiah it's the word talks about how um god is going to see his plan through we'll make sure that it comes to pass i guess now it's it's time for josh's retorts to this or kind of pressing questions right is that all for the laying out andrew Yeah, are we are we ready? Uh, I think so. I just want to make sure Andrew has a go ahead. You you all good, Andrew? Good, I'm good. Okay, okay, you're good. All right, yeah, go ahead. Uh, hang on one second. Uh, yeah, Justin, can you can you chat in the oh. chat while I do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I been, got it. I've been doing the stuff mm-hmm. in there. Yep. Just go for uh, it. I'll I'll handle it. Yeah. So so Andrew, you uh, you you've laid out <coughs> logical problem, um, these different perspectives on evil and how they work. Um, so tell me. Uh, specifically, then, if, if God ordains evil, how is He not the direct cause of evil? Um, how how is it that you could say something like, I don't know, uh, God is is not the author of evil, and, and yet, uh, or even He ordains it. It's a great question. So um, the response to that from uh from from scripture is to acknowledge the creator creature distinction namely that god is a creator and we're creatures and um to realize that um god ordaining something to happen is not the same thing as him being the person who commits the action that's kind of big picture what we're working with and so um when you read something like Isaiah 46, 10, um, which says, declaring the end from the beginning, ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's something that God has planned ahead of time. He's going to accomplish his purpose. Um, the big picture thing that's happening. Well, what is God's purpose? Uh, well, in that particular text in Isaiah 46, he's raid- he's raising up a nation to attack Israel. And yet, God's not responsible for the sin. So how does that work? Um, well, the, the, the bird of prey from the east, in verse 11, um, being raised up to attack Israel, uh, it's, it's not God who is going to like run in there and start sinning and start to, um, oh, he's, he's not the one who's committing these, these evils, um, but he is the one who is um, overseeing, making sure that they are happening in order to accomplish his plan. So that's, there's God operating on the creator level um, as an agent, 
And then there are the creatures acting on the creaturely level who are doing their, their things, and they're completely morally responsible for those things. So maybe an example that's tied closer to home fiction. Um, God ordains this to happen from eternity past, as we see that Jesus is always the, the plan. Um, and yet in the book of Acts, they say, uh, P Peter in his first sermon says, hey, uh, Jesus was crucified by evil men. Um, and, and, and so there is a God yep. has secured this act in time by the means of his creatures acting in time. Let me read that. They're not in, these things are not disconnected from each other. Yeah. So that, that's Acts 22, or sorry, Acts 2, 22 and 23. Um, and this is Peter speaking. These are the words of God. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves knew, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So there's definite plan and foreknowledge. Delivered up according to that. He then turns and says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So he's talking to these Israelites. You crucified and killed Jesus, who was literally the son of God. And yet Peter is also saying he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. In Isaiah 54, or 53 and 54, that's probably what he's specifically referencing there. But so that's predicted as prophecy beforehand. It happened. And then Peter points to the two things. He points to the creature and said, this is what you did. This is a horribly evil thing. And then he points to God and he says, this is what God has planned from the outset. So man's still responsible. And, um, and yet God is the one who's overseeing these things. God's not responsible for them. Yeah, so um, you're obviously going to get a lot of pushback here, so I'm going to push back for them. Um, so here we go. Uh, now, you just read a lot of Bible at me, but here's the thing. Um, I am an autonomous agent, and uh, if, if God is, is, is that closely tied to the evil affairs of the world, then doesn't that mean... Like, how can you disconnect him on a moral level from these things if he is the one who has the old? And here's the thing. Um, even, I, I'm going to play the atheist for a moment. Um, I'm not one, by the way, just as everyone knows, um, if, you, if you're new here. Um, I'm going to put my atheism hat on. And uh, your position seems problematic. Uh where you have God ordaining evil and there doesn't seem to be a way for him as a moral agent from that ordination that even if he's a, a one step or a million steps removed from the action in time, isn't he so responsible for it? Um, and then if you say, Hey, well, actually, uh, um, I have, uh, God has given us a completely libertarian free will, and he allows us to commit evil. If, if, if you want to take that position, then I, the atheist, will say, well, one, doesn't he know everything? And are your actions not determined by his foreknowledge? So your libertarian freedom position would self-destruct on that basis. And isn't he also completely good? And so why would he just passively allow evil uh, when he's promised a, a heaven with no evil, which means that it's possible to maintain the freedom of the creature and complete goodness. So if you say, well, he allows evil because if he doesn't, then we don't have free will. And I was like, well, <laughs> apparently it's possible for him to do that because there, there's a heaven promised and there's a uh, creation good as well and, and so this is me being an atheist who knows a lot of christian theology which you probably won't find much of 
but hey. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, 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 it, it, so on your position, you have the ordination problem on the position uh, that you may, you may take this position. I've heard Christians do this before to try to weasel out of it as an atheist. I've heard Christians do this where they, they give me the free will objection, um, which is, hey, well, we have free will and that's why. So God just allows things and he's not in control of those things. And I would say, well, um, then doesn't that violate the things you were trying to protect from the problem of evil. So we remember the problem of evil goes after God's all-powerfulness, his all-knowing attribute, and his goodness, his being all good. And wouldn't he have to violate one of those in order to maintain some kind of... It, yeah, so that, that's my, uh, my objections. So you read a lot of Bible at me, but uh, I'm going to just be an atheist, and I'm just like, ah, I don't care. So... Uh... Well, I mean, if... Well, well, atheist. Yeah, you're good. Just make sure you mute it. <clears throat> Thank you. Um, well, if you're an atheist and you're talking to a Christian uh, and trying to see what the Christian perspective is on these things, then uh, hopefully the Christian is is looking to their Bible because that's going to be the source of all of their like grounded and true beliefs about God and everything. So. Uh, you know, even if you're not going to accept that, that seems like a completely different kind of question than saying like the Christian shouldn't accept the Bible. That makes no sense. Um, that's kind of silly. A lot of atheists argue that way. And so um, you took it a different direction than I thought that you would because you addressed the idea that um, a lot of Christians throw out there and that's free will. You talk about the problem of evil and you know, the free will crew, they're going to be waving that flag. I was talking to someone I really respect today, and I was like, so what do you think of the problem of evil? How, how is it that um, bad things happen uh, if God is supposed to be good and all-powerful and all-knowing and all this stuff? Instantly, right off the bat, he said free will. Like, there was no pause time or anything. So, like, reasonable people think that this free will thing helps with the problem of evil. The problem is it doesn't because um, – you mentioned a key word there is libertarian free will. Libertarian free will means that God is not actually all powerful. It means that he is, uh, and this is going to be a completely different subject. So we're not going to dive too deeply uh, into this topic, but uh, it, it, it means that God isn't actually, he doesn't have a plan. He has, he just kind of sets it up and hopes for the best. Um, he hopes that everyone makes the right choice because ultimately it's down to them. And so what this does is it flattens out the idea of, of choice and it puts God on the same level as the creatures. So the create the creator creature distinction is completely obliterated. God is just one more person among other people who are making choices. And um, you know, it's like God wants one thing to happen, but then you know the he he really wants you to choose him, or he really wants you to like you know not attack the Israelites in the year twelve hundred BC. But you know, you have that ultimate free will, and you can just you can attack the Israelites if you want to. And it's it's ultimately your choice, and God has nothing to do with it. Um, people argue that way. It's just the problem is scripture doesn't argue that way. Because whenever people make choices, it's always it's always put it, it's repeatedly set in the context of God's will. So you have Pharaoh sort of opposing. Israel, uh, you know, in, in Exodus. So Moses is like, let the people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then the next verse is, but the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He didn't listen to him as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So the Lord hardens Pharaoh's heart. Um, so God is the one who's actively hardening the heart of Pharaoh. Is it sinful for God to harden Pharaoh's heart? No, <laughs> it can't be. It's, it's, it is literally impossible for it, for it to be wrong because that's God using Pharaoh appropriately and in a way that God is uh, seeking to accomplish his own purposes. Part of the question again. Um, uh, well, let, let's, let's talk about some Bible verses um, since I, the atheist, uh, would like to now Don't use work. the Bible selectively against you. Uh, in Isaiah 45, 7, um, 
it says, I form the light and create darkness. This is God speaking. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. In Jeremiah 34, 2, uh, it says, For thus saith the Lord, like as I have brought all this great evil upon this people, so will I bring upon them all the good that I have promised. And Jeremiah 27, uh, Jeremiah says, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. And so uh, how, what, what, what do you do with all that? So um, the Isaiah text, uh, so back when they translated the King James, it used the word evil. It also means calamity. It also means disaster. So in modern translations, it would read in a way that's more natural to our ear. And it'd say, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does all these things. So God creates evil on a like natural and even uh, potentially with that verse, even on a national level, which is what I already talked about um, when I mentioned that God does ordain uh, evil things to happen, whether they're moral, natural, or sort of nation sized. Um, and then the last one, could you read the last Bible verse again? Because it was sort of a little bit different topic. Yeah. The, uh, Jer the same Jeremiah, goes for Jeremiah 27, uh, chapter 20, verse 7. Uh, oh, Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. That is very interesting. Let's take a look. WRG slash. Not only can you not spell, you got the wrong reference, my dude. It's chapter 20, 20 verse 7. Oh, verse 7. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, good. How do you spell? <laughs> it, 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 it replace your first A with an E. Okay. Yep. There we go. Now time to delete all the evidence. <laughs> no one will know. <laughs> Alright, calm down, Rice Force. Too many caps. can't spell no uh, get out of here don't need this nothing happened here can't have people defaming spelling take you going on right now is i'm reading jeremiah 20 i started from the beginning of the chapter and i'm reading on through um just for context Lord, you have deceived me, and I was deceived. You are stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I have become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction, for the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. Keep reading. So if you read down in verse 12 of Jeremiah 20, 12, it says, O Lord, of, o Lord of hosts who tests the righteous, who sees the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Uh, sing to the Lord, praise the Lord, for he has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers, etc. Um, you see even there that he's talking about how um, the righteous are being tested, which is sort of what we talked about along the lines of uh, James 1. So if I could ask you to come out of the avatar for a second, how would you answer that question? Because I'm honestly a little bit stumped. I was deceived. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> so I've been reading Jeremiah lately, oh, yeah. like for my daily read. Yeah. So like, I, that's why I've like I've been hit you with some Jeremiah text because I've been reading it. Over um, there. So, so the, uh, the, this part of Jeremiah is not a prophecy, but a lament, um, where he says, cursed be the day on which I was born the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought news to my father, his son is born to you. So what's happening to Jeremiah right now is he's, uh, right. happens right before 
is he gets persecuted. He gets locked up oh, yeah, yeah. in prison. <clears throat> so he, in his mind, the office of, I mean, Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. In his mind, up to this point, the office of prophet was one in which he was guaranteed, in his mind, protection. And so when he says that God has deceived him, he's uh, making reference back to just like it, well, what he is thinking in his mind, what the life of a prophet is, is supposed to be like. So he did by God here in this moment, which tells us another interesting things about how we can lament, how we can express ourselves to God. Um, but he, he comes around eventually. Um, yeah. But, but like when he gets called at first, it's before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you and I appointed you a prophet to the nations, um, which actually addresses some of the things that we've been talking about so far, where Jeremiah, this life before he's born by God. Um, and, and, and Jeremiah's response, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I'm only a youth. But the Lord said to them, uh, said to me, do not say I am only a youth for to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whenever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And so he is seeing this moment of initial persecution as God going back on that promise of I am with you to deliver you. Um, nice. And so he's... Notion yeah, so, so he's crying out there um, in that moment. Uh, nice. Saying, hey, like, You alive, Josh? Okay, uh... Josh Justin, is frozen in his tracks, I guess? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Justin, did you have a, a question touching on this thing? Uh, no. No, I did not have anything necessarily to ask. Kinda, just kind of vibing right now. Constant state of said, He said... So my power went out. <laughs> oh uh, no! That's funny. Oh, Five man. times. He well, he's coming back. Got to wait okay. for his nice PC to boot up real quick, and he'll be. He'll um. Be yeah. F's in the chat for Josh. Yeah, seriously, um, F's for Josh. Unfortunate. Get a get a big F in there. Um. Hopefully, come back soon. Uh so I see a lot of the questions in the chat. They look like they're dealing with like free will and God's sovereignty, what God ordained, and rest in peace. Stuff like that. We're actually going to do a whole episode touching on as much of that sort of thing as we can. Um, and we'll probably revisit like God ordaining evil because that seems to be like the touchiest mm -hmm. thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> PC finally so, conked out. He's gone, which means hopefully he can be back because yeah. you can't get back unless you're gone. You know what I mean. What are you talking about, Preston? Pepe Adam. Okay. Uh, little pet top. Hit, hit him with a PS1 Haggard. Can I report that somehow? What, the PS1 Haggard? Get some yeah. Discord admins in here. Man, your Haggard's beating my pet. Alright, whatever. Uh, Haggard's, no. Haggard's cooler. <laughs> Everyone get a upvote on PS1 Haggard real quick. Oh no, you coward. You took it away. Whoever did that, I'm coming for actually, you. I didn't, uh, it's still like... Alright, so, so your Haggard... It's, uh, it's going up, it's going up. This is good. No, <laughs> the pet is not changing at all. <laughs> oh okay cool no it's fine whatever i took i took my own away i concede all right um that post mill um is back is he oh he's typing um waiting on his microphone to warm up or something <laughs> i don't know waiting on his toaster to get warm the chat uh, on my way back F, small F, tiny F. 
I feel like there should be a way to downsize the what? like some form of HTML. True. I mean, you could just do like the little symbol, the the emoji F. That's oh, right. that's arguably bigger. Well, it is, but minimal F. Oh, that's funny. A little rice force F on there. Big F. Add yeah, we'll, we'll edit this part out in post production. Uh, probably not. Our, Don't get paid for all of our for podcast that. viewers. Oh yeah. For all of our podcast viewers. Podcast. Oh, they're doing tiny Fs. How'd they get that? Those Fs are so small. They're... I can't even see it on my giant screen. They're far too small. Oh, fun fact about this monitor. It actually used to belong to PA, also known as Preston. So huh. even on Preston's old monitor, Trademark it. which is pretty big, I can't even see that how, how tiny those Fs are. So good for you guys. Um... If he's not back, like, a minute, we could kind of do an early Q&A while waiting for him. Sure. But. He's going to hit me with more um, more Bible verses that are problematic. Problematic for... in quotation. Yeah, yeah. Big, big quotation marks. Um, yeah. Um, you know what? Heck it, man. Let's get started with the q Yeah, yeah. Let's so, here, let me let me preface some stuff before we start. So, try to make it about the problem of evil independently as much as possible. Uh, it's We're not doing a Q&A on predestination versus free will or anything like that. Um, so, because we will be addressing that later. Uh, you can either use your mic if you want or you can type in the chat. Uh, and then Andrew will answer your questions, I guess. And if, if it is on something else, um, that's great. We will definitely keep it in mind. We're just not going to answer it. <clears throat> so it'll be in the back pocket. Trust me. I save all of your questions. Maybe one day Discord will load. Okay. Any questions from anyone? See where force typing. I had a feeling... With his red logo looking so. Logo kind of looks like if China issued like a government standardized candy, that would be like all over the wrapper. And it gave everyone coronavirus. Mm -hmm. That's the most important part. Just sprinkled on there. If marriage is ordained, is it's put on stool why is evil too that's a great question so that's just a different use of the word ordained so there are different things that are ordained there are like two different like senses i guess they're probably more than two senses but the one that i was using was re with respect to god's like plan for creation and his ultimate purposes and his uh his providence like his sovereign control of creation that's one level. The second level is the things that God tells us to do. So God tells us to do things like, um, you, you know, like if you're a professing believer, you get baptized and you go to church. Those things are ordained. They're ordinances. Um, marriage is something that God ordains because, um, you know, what God has brought together, let no man separate. It's ordained by God, not only in the big picture, providential sense, but also in the God tells us he ordains for us to do these things. So um, I was talking more specifically in the providential sense rather than him uh, like giving verbal commands to us. And so when your question asks if marriage is ordained, like marriage is ordained, but it's in the command, like he's telling us how to live our lives sense. Evil is ordained in the sense of God, like causing things to happen and him uh, providentially overseeing the world. Marriage is ordained in the sense of him telling us to do it. It's part of his revealed biblical, this is how you live your life ordinance. 
Remember, y'all don't have to type out. Saying letting it happen, but seeing it because he is sovereign. Letting it happen, but seeing it because he is sovereign. I'm not exactly sure what that's asking. I mean, okay, uh -huh. so. What's up, Josh? We're doing QA just with people, yeah. just as you were getting booted back up. Cool. Um, yeah, that took to the two ones bizarre, but there you yeah. go. I'll answer the two ones that are on there hopefully pretty quickly, and then if you have any remaining stuff, we can get to that. So the current one is: Are you saying letting it happen, but seeing it because he's sovereign? Um, there's a sense in which, like God letting sinful hearts play out, and things happen. He's not restraining evil anymore. Um, and that's talked about specifically in Romans one twenty three, I believe. Read that. Romans one twenty three says, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping. That ain't cheap. I don't think yeah, that it. it's actually the next verse in the oh. next verse. Okay. It says, therefore, because of the idolatry in man's sinful heart, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. So like there is a sense in which God doesn't, he doesn't any longer restrain an evil heart from doing what it wants to do, which is only evil. So an application of this verse in 24, it says God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity. That's what that's talking about. So like, yes, but not in a, like God's just passively watching what's happening. And he's like, you know, rubbing his hands together. Cause he's, uh, what's going to happen next because he's totally in control totally sovereign um then the next one is it's hard to talk about the problem of evil without getting into the importance of free will i i think that's a good point um and that's why i tried to talk about this from a, a purely biblical perspective and to try to define the problem in that way rather than bringing in um like concepts of free will that the bible actually doesn't like talk about or approve of because the problem of talking about free will in the sense that like we have the ultimate deciding power that we make like that's not really true yeah that whereas not, sorry uh, go ahead that's not even true on like a observational level when you think about your daily decision making um there's not really like you do all kinds of stuff without careful or conscious thought or willing. Um, and yet God holds you morally responsible for those things. And so our, the, the, the freedom of our wills, I'm not saying there doesn't exist um, in any capacity. That's not what I'm saying, but the freedom of our wills doesn't. Uh, Goodbye, darling. See ya. Um, the capacity of our wills does not affect our moral responsibility before God. And I think that's a big thing, especially if you're talking about this with, with an unbeliever. Um, the tendency for them is to import uh, un, unbelieving notions of either radical autonomy, of, of self-governance or self-rule, um, or uh, radical determinism, where everything they do is predetermined by their biology or their circumstances. And so there's no way that God can hold them accountable for it. Um, that I, that either one of those extremes would be missing the Bible's point, which is that God is our sovereign creator and we are his creatures. And he has every right and prerogative to hold us accountable to the way that he has created us, um, which we could get into in lots of ways, but. 
if i may just uh i was the one who wrote that comment um that's not exactly i appreciate what you said that's all very true i think what i was getting at was more the i guess the lack of importance of free will and that it doesn't really change god's plan it can be worked right into his plan with um without him committing sin himself if that makes sense totally totally. Um, everything you said is i absolutely agree with yeah I just wanted to clarify what I was uh, referring to. And we're very much on the same page. So um, in the in the Twitch chat, uh, someone asked, why does God seem to stay at a distance and work through other things instead of being directly involved? If you want to answer that really quickly, you can. If not, uh, that's a good question that we can have for later and for other people Let's to be thinking about. Let's sit on that one just because we have yeah. others. Yeah. Just um, think well, about I, it. I, I can... I, can, can I please? I like this question. Go for yeah, it. Just, just don't take super long. I won't. I won't. Okay, go um, for I, it. I know we're we're at ten o'clock, and, and I'm gonna stick around longer because I don't have anywhere to be at. I'm, I'm working at the same time I'm doing this, which is fantastic. Um, so, uh, God choosing the means by which He operates, um, and working through means is His normal practice, and we can think of a lot of different reasons why he might do that. Um, on a speculation level, I think on a, um, for, from the, the biblical perspective, Jesus seems to kind of hit us in the face with it at one point where he tells uh, the Pharisees he's arguing with that even if someone rises from the dead, they won't believe what he says, which is pretty, you know, <laughs> a pretty good point since he literally rises from the dead and then, People don't believe don't him. Believe him. Yeah. Um, and, and so, in a way, the question um, could, could be rephrased in, in some ways as like, well, why doesn't God just show up and then everyone would believe in him? And the answer is they wouldn't. <laughs> um, so, yeah. All right. But anyway, that, that was a shoot from the hip. Yeah. And, and I mean, definitely in a further meeting, we yeah. could break it down further elaborate on that for sure all right last question did you already answer rice forces question uh which one was objective say god wants the leader of a nation say old testament to die uh this would be good in god's eyes but someone else may see this as an act of evil is there a clear definition of evil is really what i'm asking is anything that god is against oh yeah so um so, so the depth, yeah. So, I mean, someone else answered. Evil is what sin is, um, and and evil. What is evil is anything that violates um, God's character as revealed in His law. So, like specifically on a, uh, yeah, sure. I'll I'll repeat it one more. Um, so uh, God lays out how we as his creatures ought to live in his world. And when we kick against that, when we rebel against it, when we sin, um, that's evil. And that manifests in all kinds of ways because he has very specific commands. And, and the commands are given as how like he, he, he built us to live according to those commands. And, and so living according to those is how to be truly human, um, to, to, to be uh, a flourishing human um, in God's world than doing what he says is, is what you ought to do. Um, and then rebelling against that is, is evil. Um, and, and so the other definitions of evil that Andrew gave earlier are examples of things that we call evil, but are products of life in a fallen world like sickness natural disasters they are products of of the first sin of adam um kept cursing all of creation um but that's but they're not evil under the kind of moral evil as andrew defined it which is like rebelling against god's commands directly um So, like, in the example that you gave, Rice Force, um, uh, there are 
things that people intend to be evil that God then uses for good. Um, and, and so a good example in the Old Testament is Joseph. So uh, Joseph, at, at the end of uh, Genesis, in Genesis 50, um, when confronting his brothers who sold him into slavery, but then that ends up turning around to be their very means of survival when a famine hits, is the fact that Joseph recognizes them when they come to get food from Egypt. He's like, these are my bros. And he saves their lives. Um, and when they are like, he's going to kill us now because we tried to kill him and he has power now. Uh, Joseph responds with, actually, what, what you intended for evil, God used for good. And so they committed an evil act and intended that for evil. And yet God did good through their evil action. And so what God is doing is good. What they're doing is evil. And there's layers to all of that. Um, and, and that's harder to piece through. It's not quite uh, the same example that, that you gave there. But um, though someone else may see something as evil, God can be doing good. And I think the biggest example of this is the cross, where uh, it is an uh, evil act being committed. Um, by evil men they're killing the innocent son of god um, they're killing the murdering the author of life and yet god is working the ultimate good of everyone who will believe in him through that evil act that they're committing so oh. cool. and then caleb wanted you to repeat uh the part about God showing up in the earlier question, why does God seem to stay at a distance and work through other things instead of being directly involved? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. What I was basically saying was that, like, that the, the question is often asked because it seems like it would be easier for people to believe if God just showed up. Um, on the one hand, he did. Uh, Jesus is the incarnate uh, second person in the Trinity and showed up, <laughs> walked around, ate lunch with people, chatted <laughs> about the weather. Like, yeah, he came and he spoke, and he spoke clearly. He lived among us, um, died and rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven. And, and so there's that. Uh, and so it's like, well, what, what about now? And it's like, well, sure, it might be. Uh, in our minds, it seems like it would be easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our minds, it seems like it would be easier if he would just show up. And you see atheists do this in debates, formal debates. If you watch those, I, I do um, sometimes. And uh, they'll be like, hey, uh, yeah, <laughs> by the way, I control the weather. Um, they're like, hey, uh, you know, if God exists, then why doesn't he just like levitate this marker out of my hand or throw me across the stage? And it's like you still wouldn't believe in him because the problem is their hearts. The reason they don't believe is what Jesus says over and over again in the gospels is their hearts are wicked and that's the reason they don't believe him it's the reason they don't believe in god um so they need new hearts um and so even if god did that they, they would find a way to explain it away just as they explain away the resurrection of jesus so all right is there any more questions that we really have or is uh, I do want to finish with saying that was a, a lot of theology and a lot of philosophy, which a lot of the times is, uh, you know, it's, it's not bad. But uh, one thing I'd like to add is what is our chief response to this as Christians uh, with the problem of evil being not a problem that God has, but a problem that we have that we kind of pin towards and try to blame it on God. But the reality of the situation is that if you're a Christian, God has given you a new heart and he has delivered you from this evil. And he has a, a so-called house, a place um, where we are now uh, citizens and children of him so we can forever praise him in heaven. And the proper response should be praise to God just for delivering us and giving us a new heart. So that the problem of evil uh, isn't one that we have to experience in the afterlife, where this time we're being punished for our evil against a holy, righteous, and just God.
Mm-hmm. But that's Amen. If, if that's all, uh, I, th- I, th- I think Land we're... Plane. Yeah. <laughs> a plane landed. I think that's Get it. Think... like, share, and subscribe. And, yeah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to hit that share button. Yeah. On our Patreon. All right. <laughs>